Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I'm Bill of Jesse Thorne. This week, motion to dismiss. Laura brings the case against her older sister, Liz. Is Liz a nerd or no? Laura says that not only is Liz a nerd, but she should embrace her nerddom. Liz says she simply doesn't fit the criteria. With deep love and respect for nerds, of course. Who's right? Who's wrong? Only one can decide. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman enters the courtroom and presents an obscure cultural reference. Hey, 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 a life, a life, Jesse. You know what that is? It's the feces that happens while you're waiting for moments that never come. Bailiff Jesse Thorne, please swear them in. Laura and Liz, please rise and raise your right hands. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God or whatever? I do. I do. Do you swear to abide by Judge John Hodgman's ruling, despite his long history of bullying nerds at The Daily Show? And I specifically am referring to our friend Elliot. I do. I do. Judge Hodgman, you may proceed. That's absolutely true. I did I did bully Elliot. I've mentioned it before, but just to clarify, I had the very, what I consider to be funny idea of doing some performance art backstage at The Daily Show in which I, a nerd, would bully another nerd, namely Elliot Kalin, by walking by his desk and knocking his comics off his desk for no reason or taking his replica Iron Man helmet and going, this belongs to me now. See you later, nerd. Culminating in me throwing my sneaker at him. And it was in that moment that I realized, uh, this is not meta-bullying. This is just bullying. As the sneaker reached its apex, <laughs> and then I realized, oh, no, I need to take this back because regardless of how it, how it seems to me, I am an on-camera personality by mistake in life. And Elliot is merely the head writer. And therefore, he has to be like, yeah, that's funny, John, when it's not funny to have someone throw shoes at you. And, and then I heard the thunk against his shoulder, and I knew that I owed Elliot an apology, one that I give him probably twice a year because I was just being a bully. Sorry if you've all heard that story before, but I just wanted to let you know. Now we have two sisters here. Is one nerd shaming the other by insisting that they be a nerd? Let's find out. Laura and Liz, you may be seated for an immediate summary judgment in one of your favors. Uh, can either of you name the piece of culture that I referenced? As I entered the courtroom. I'm going to guess Revenge of the Nerds. Revenge of the Nerds. Hey, hey, hey. It's called a life, Jesse. It's the feces that happen while you're waiting for moments that never come. Revenge of the Nerds. I don't know. Maybe. I'll write it down. Look, we're on video now, so I'm, <laughs> I'm really writing it down. Turn the page. And Revenge of the Nerds. There we go. Wrote it down. Next. Who's next in my in my guessworks? That is Laura guessing Little Shop of Horrors. The very famous Jesse Thorne musical. Yeah. I'm writing that down. Little Shop of Horrors. Referring specifically <clears throat> to the 1999 School of the Arts production in mm -hmm. San Francisco. The mm -hmm. 1999 School of the Arts, but essentially the the uh, considered to be the original cast mm -hmm. now. Yeah. Well, let's see. Little Shop of Horrors, Revenge of the Nerds. Re Little Shop of Horrors is a great musical. Uh, Revenge of the Nerds is a movie that I have never seen and which uh, I have heard does not age well at all. No. I don't think it was good <laughs> to begin with. And I think it, it's particularly troubling now. Yeah. So let's never mention it again. Good thing <laughs> all guesses are wrong. Um, because I was not quoting from that nerdery, but rather a specific other kind of nerdery called The Wire. I've quoted from The Wire, the TV show, maybe the best TV show ever, <clears throat> uh, on this podcast before. Have you ever seen The Wire, Liz or Laura? I tried to watch it because I yeah. heard it was excellent and yeah. could not enjoy it. I just did not. Enjoy it doesn't it. connect with everybody's brain. Yeah. It took me a while to get into it. Okay. And then when I got into it, I was locked in, particularly to the incredibly controlled performance of Clark Peters playing Lester Freeman, who is one of the detectives that gets assigned to uh, the, the unit that, that is followed, particularly in the first season of The Wire, where no one, the, the police do not want this case to go forward. So they've only assigned them bad detectives or what they think are bad detectives. 
And Lester Freeman is one of the detectives who gets assigned. He served 13 years in the pawn crime division or something as punishment for getting out of line. But he's actually a really, really good detective. But he's very quiet and he's very controlled. And the first time you see him, he is working on his side hustle, which is making miniature dollhouse furniture. Does that appeal to either one of you? (laughs) That greatly appeals to me. He's a smart man. That would be Liz. He's a very smart man. He is natural police, says Bunk to McNulty in that episode, whichever one it was. I'm not that much of a nerd for this show. Can't name the (laughs) chapter and verse. Clark Peters, also into Five Bloods and many other things. Really, really great actor. Really incredible performance. My favorite. One of my favorites of the show. By all accounts, he had an epic party house on location. Is that true? In Baltimore? Yeah, he he rented the big place. A lot of the other actors would stay there, and that was where they would get their cool actor guy on. Oh, man. I mean, to me, it would just be a party to listen to him speak. I know. Just such an incredible speaking voice. I'm going to have to watch that wire all over again. That's only gotten better with age. Anyway, Lester Freeman is the character, is a nerd for little little handmade dollhouse furniture. Uh, just like you are, Liz, or so Laura would claim. Who, who seeks justice in this court? Is it you, Laura? Yes, I am bringing the case against my sister. Right. And your older sister, Liz, nerd or no? To me, she is an absolute nerd. Absolute nerd. And yet, Liz, you say no. How do you respond to this claim? I say I am not a nerd. It's that simple, Judge. You have you have interests. I have interests. I have hobbies. I have passions. When, Laura, what are these passions that Liz has? Uh, making dollhouse furniture. The, the aforementioned miniatures. Uh, she's also quite... That's a hot band name, the aforementioned miniatures. <laughs> Feels like a Wes Anderson-themed band. All right. Anyway, you were saying, I apologize. Yeah, Laura. no. So the miniatures, um, her pets have all been named for... Literary characters, some of them quite obscure. Uh, and she is also... Whoa, 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 whoa. wait yes. I, I promise you, if I say the name, the judge will know the book. Well, yeah, but I'm scrolling through this evidence that was submitted, and I do not see one pet, one photo of any pets. There are no photos of pets, because it's not evidence. That's never stopped anyone before. <laughs> <laughs> would you, Judge, would you like a name of a pet to see if... Yeah. You can have an obscure cultural reference? Or... I'll tell you what nerds don't do. Test other nerds on <laughs> knowledge of Arcana. Yeah, absolutely. Nerds in no way are, they are no way gatekeepers in any way of their precious cultural references. But I shall take the bait. Go ahead. I am ready to be tested. One of our dogs is named Ignatius J. Riley. Is that from Confederacy of Dunces? It is. One of the best books ever written. Oh, you know, I've never read that book, honestly. I've read half of it twice. (laughs) (laughs) I got three pages in and gave up. Why wasn't it for you, Laura? Too deeply ensconced in the Baltimore drug trade? Yeah, I mean, always. But it just did not hold me a little, maybe a little too literary. I will admit Liz is far more of an academic than I am. Uh, You know who loves that book is Nick Offerman. And he starred in a play of it in the Huntington Theater in Boston once. That tracks. That tracks. Laura, what are you what are you nerdy for? Are you a nerd, Laura? Oh, absolutely. Younger sister Laura. You yes. you own it. You say it loud and proud. Mm-hmm. Yes. What are your nerderies? Um, I mean, not to like try and sway things in my favor, but Maximum Fun Podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh I am like an OG for your podcast and Mabim Bam have been listening the entirety, you know, for all of those years. Wow. Since before you were born, it sounds like. Um, and I'm a nerd for theater, especially musical theater. Musical theater yeah. nerdery is strong nerdery. It very much is, um, as I thoroughly enjoyed listening to the uh, Matilda case. Yes. Speaking of dollhouse miniatures, Doug, the former high school musical teacher, coach, never got to mount his production of Matilda because of uh, the things that happened in 2020. Mm-hmm. And then he retired to complete his miniatures for his dollhouse that he gave to his wife, Martha. Um, and also books. I am a big book nerd. I actually invited one of my favorite authors to come see the show I'm stage managing la- uh, a couple weekends ago. So like all my nerddoms are overlapping. Uh, that all sounds like some, as they say on the Blank Check podcast, some real nerdy feces, but not traditional nerdy, not 
not high elven nerdery insofar as it's uh it's not about computers or lord of the rings those are the two poles i might say i can i'm just hearing the i'm hearing my my inbox fill up as i say this <laughs> but you know the term nerd originated in roughly 19 in the 1950s but really hit it in the 1960s describing socially awkward dudes who wore glasses who were more into into intellectual weirdo pursuits than they were into normalism, which was sports at the time and arguably still is, and were marginalized. And yet, you know, there's a, now a more of a a big vehicle nerdism that encompasses, as Will Wheaton would say, it's not what you love, it's how you love it, and you're very passionate about these hobbies. Laura, even though your passions are kind of more big vehicle nerdism, not that hyper-traditional awkward dude in maths nerdism or newt lovers of England or whatever. How would you define nerd? I think it is if you are into something, a fandom, a thing, Mm. whatever it Mm. may be, Mm. where you are putting an extra time and energy and effort into it, particularly, for example, attending a convention Mm. about that thing that kind of goes beyond just being a fan and being more of a nerd also how how often does it come up in your daily life if you are constantly posting about something sharing something that you're doing um nearly every day or close to every day i feel like that starts to get into the nerd territory and i do agree it can be a little bit more traditional um, like you were were mentioning with the computers and math and all that kind of stuff, but I do think I'm it not. Extends. I'm not a ner- I'm not a gatekeeping nerd. I'm not trying to keep you away from nerdism. <laughs> um, I just wanted to get a sense. Oh of, yeah, yeah. But <clears throat> oh, I mean, no. by but you know, Laura, by your definition, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we're recording this several days before what some people call the big game, which is a which is a very very big sports convention. John, when you say some people, you're referring to some people in television commercials. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> who haven't licensed the word Super Bowl. You know what? I'm going to take this heat. We're 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 coming up on the Super Bowl. That's probably the biggest sports fan convention in in United Statesian sports for sure. And those people are very passionate. So here's the paradox, Laura. Can you be a nerd for sports? I think so. Now nothing has any definition anymore. <laughs> Judge Hodgman, I've been to three Society for American Baseball Research yeah, conventions. Yeah, you know, so. I've, I, yeah, I, I'm looking right at you. I understand where you're coming from. <laughs> Shut up, nerd. I do think there is a difference between a fan and a nerd, and I do think it is the amount of time you've dedicated to it. If you're doing research or actively seeking things out beyond sort of what is there, so if you're a baseball fan and you watch it and you might enjoy watching the Super Bowl, that's one thing. But if you're like getting into each player's background and you know what college they went to and you know everybody's stats and you're like going so deep into it that you're kind of a walking dictionary on that topic, then you become a sports nerd in that specific instance. Let me ask you this. Baseball teams, for example, this is the season when baseball teams have their fan fests. So at the stadium or sometimes at another venue uh, in colder places, they will have players come, sign autographs. They'll have a few panels. You know, the general manager of the team or the owner of the team will take questions from the audience. The manager will take questions from the audience. And fans of all ages will come and and get autographs and uh, revel in their passion for their local sports team. Is that nerd behavior? I think the key word you said there is local. So say that was happening in New York City for aforementioned New York team. I don't want to divide baseball loyalties. And you live in California and you fly out to attend that because you love whatever New York team so much. Then, yes, I would say you are a nerd. What if you live in Los Angeles and you're a fan of the San Francisco Giants? What if you're a fan of the San Francisco Giants and you go to Mexico City to see them play the San Diego Padres? And they hit a lot of home runs because the air is so thin. But you also go with your mom and you go to a lot of museums and flea markets as well. What if you go with your mommy to a baseball game in Mexico City because you love the San Francisco Giants so much? And because your mom has a master's degree in Latin American studies. And because your mom is the coolest and your best friend. Then you're son of the year. 
Son of the year. Uh-huh. Thank you. Hall, podcast Hall of Famer, son of the year. Jesse exactly. Point. 100%. Hey, Liz, you're still here. <laughs> Just tell me about the hobbies again. We got we got the making of miniatures. That is, yes, that is a hobby. That You're naming your dogs after book characters. I don't want to call that a hobby, but yes, my husband and I have named all but one of our many dogs and oh. cats after why are you so reticent with the animals? Tell me about all the names of your animals. Let's go. Okay. Are you ready? <clears throat> Do we have time for yeah. this? We basically have time for nothing else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My first two cats uh, were Walt and Waldo after Walt Whitman and Ralph Waldo Emerson. I did not know mm. that Walt was a girl. Um, so Walt and Waldo. <clears throat> and then we had a cat, my husband named Tux. He did not, he did not conform to the, to the method. He did not follow the, no, did not follow the template. No, it's amazing. 26 years later, we're still together after that. I mean, it was devastating. Right. So the cats, we had a test for Tess of the Durbervilles. Sure. Uh, we still have Susie named after Susanna from, um, the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. We had a Roland, uh, named, also of from course, Dark after, Tower. yes, the great Roland. Yeah. Our very first dog was Queequeg, which is, of course, from Moby Dick. And we had a Melville as well. And then we have Iggy and then our newest, absolutely insane newest addition that Laura helped us adopt and had no idea he was coming into our lives when she came to visit in November is uh, Hieronymus Bosch. Scary. And we call him Bosch. Named after, yeah. he's named after the character, not the artist. But of course, the character's named after the artist. Oh, so. named after Bosch from from the Amazon show? At, from the Michael, the Michael Connelly, Connelly books, series? yes. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. Oh, I apologize. Oh, now you're really splitting hairs. That's some nerdery right there. <laughs> can you can you imagine, John? Could be, a, could be an artist. Could be Titus <laughs> Welliver in the role of a lifetime. Harry Bosch. <laughs> but you're like, no, no, no. It's from the book. It's from the books. <laughs> And also, you got two pets named after characters from the Dark Tower series, which is the alternate universe Stephen King. Yep. Oh, Stephen Stephen King, very popular author. You know who reads the Dark Tower series? Stephen King nerds. Dark Tower series is fantastic. Read everything else, never read a word. The thing about Stephen King is, he's like, yeah, I guess I'm going to write 2,000-page novels a year. And you think you've heard all of them. And then it turns out he was secretly writing five others under different pen names. <laughs> and then he's also got this other... Series of nineteen thousand page novels set in an alternate universe called the Dark, the Dork Tower. Judge Hodgman, you know I have a newt named Bosch. I actually have a few newts. One's named Bosch. One's named Jack Reacher. Uh, one's named Kevin Costner's character from Yellowstone. Dork Tower, of course, is actually a very funny comic strip. I can't take credit for that. It's by our friend John Kovalik in uh, in Madison, Wisconsin. Thanks, John. Hello, I'm your Judge John Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is brought to you every week by you, our members, of course. Thank you so much for your support of this podcast and all of your favorite podcasts at MaximumFun.org. And they are all your favorites. If you want to join the many member supporters of this podcast and this network, boy, oh boy, that would be fantastic. Just go to MaximumFun.org slash join. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Babbel. Okay, it's 2024. 2024. Oh, if hindsight were 2020, I I don't know what I would have done differently. All I know is that I'm taking every day in this year and trying to get better a little bit every day. That's what you do. That's the way progress is made, step by step, day by day, bird by bird. And that's the way it is when you're learning anything, especially a new language with Babbel. And if Babbel can help you start speaking language in just three weeks, Imagine what you could do in the rest of this whole year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars to private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts, real human beings, to help you start speaking a new language in as little as one, two, three weeks. Studies from Michigan State University, Yale University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. And that's not just the Yale football team putting their thumb on the scale because they love learning Indonesian from Babbel. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Take that, Yale, I guess. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription 
but this is only for our listeners, at babble.com slash Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Aura. A-U-R-A. It's a simple but meaningful gift that you can give your mom or your dad or your step-grandparent or your uncle or your friend or anyone that you want to keep connected in your life who might not live near you. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things that those friends can't be there for, from family vacations to grandkids' graduation to whatever. I have one of these, and I got one for my dad, and I got one for my mother-in-law, and it's amazing. We look at the photos all day long, and we're able to easily update their Aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame, you can upload as many photos as you want, and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one. And it takes only about two minutes to set up. Seriously. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, uh, The Strategist, and Wired Magazine. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code Hodgman. That's A-U-R-A frames.com, promo code Hodgman. Terms and conditions apply. Anyway, uh, why, why are you not a nerd after you've named all your animals after, uh, after books? I mean, bookishness is one of, the, one of the early signs of high nerdery, high elven nerdery. I am not a nerd because... As I said in the introduction, I am passionate, I'm intelligent, I'm educated, and I like to know everything I can know about what I'm doing. But that, I don't feel, makes me a nerd because my definition of nerd is a lot like yours, Judge. I haven't, I haven't said I've, I've got to, I'm going to decide what nerdism is in this very episode. I have, I have spoken that there is a, there is a traditional definition or stereotype, and now there is an ex more expansive stereotype, obviously. I liken it more to things like when my sister was younger and she was writing fan fiction for shows mm -hmm. like House and General Hospital. Mm -hmm. She was a very early AOL adopter and fortunately went in a positive direction with those chat rooms and met some friends that have remained lifelong friends in her secret society of cool people club that she created called the SSCP, which... Um, oh, I thought that was your terminology. <laughs> no, that is my sister named it. So those are the types of things I don't do. I was an English major um, and then right. eventually got a, a second a master's degree. My second master's degree is in English, so... Master nerd. Your, you said your second master's degree? Yes, sir. Yes. What was I, your first master's degree in? My first master's degree is in education and teaching English to speakers of other languages from the University of Pennsylvania. That's amazing. And your second master's degree? It's in English with a focus on world and multicultural literatures. I wrote about um, Native American author Luis Erdrich and Maori sure. author Patricia Grace. She wrote Potiki and their use of indigenous language in their Anglophone texts. That's not nerdy at all what I just said. That's education. <laughs> also, I mean, uh, condescending a little, Liz, <laughs> and educated, not nerdy, <laughs> condescending, Ivy League pat school. patronizing. I am highfalutin. Laura, is Liz a member of the Secret Society of Cool People? Yes or no? Yes. Um, and actually, I have to give credit where credit is due. That is Erica originally named the SSCP. And in the nerddom, I met Erica when we were about 14 years old through America Online in a general hospital chat room. Mm -hmm. And we are friends to this day. So oh, Erica is one of your online friends. She is, although we have met multiple times in person. No, I understand. But, yeah. but Liz is a member of the Secret Society of Cool People, even though she, even though she is holding you in contempt for your... <laughs> fanfic and think she's better than you because she's older it's an ironic secret society of cool people name and i love my sister she's my friend so of course i want her to be a part of my group with my friends liz do you accept membership in the secret society of cool people yes or no i do and i thoroughly enjoyed it and i just want to say i don't think i'm better than laura 
I th- don't think I'm a nerd, but certainly there is no better. Just better than all nerds. There is no better person than my sister. I just want to have that on the record. They're all, oh, they're, she's one of the she's one of the good ones. There's truly no better person than my sister. I That's why it. I'm here. <laughs> Liz, you sent in some evidence in your own support here. Yes. Which includes photographs of these incredibly beautiful and detailed dollhouse miniatures that you have made with your own hands. Is that correct? No, sir. I, I did not make them. I bought them. They were oh. made by other makers. So the... Oh, so you're not a nerd. You're a geek. <laughs> <laughs> she okay. did make me a miniature for my 40th birthday based on Anne of Green Gables. I did, and you did not submit that as evidence. I didn't. I get no pets, and I get no Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> miniature, no. M- miniature? What was the miniature that she made for you? Uh, it what, It looks like the book, which is really cute, and then it has her bedroom so it yeah. has like her little bed and her little desk and table. Oh, and then it cute. has a mini mini. So it has like the mini version of Anna Green Gables that you can put in the, the little bedroom. Remember Doug who never got to Mount Matilda at that high school? Yeah. He made a dollhouse. You know what he put in one of the bedrooms? A little miniature book called Vacation Land by John Hodgman. That's perfect. And he took a little, a little miniature of me as lying down in the bed on top of the covers in my clothes, which is accurate. You're probably lying in state. I don't know, Liz. Do you have a non do you have a non-miniature vacation land, Liz? Judge, I'm sorry to tell you that I had right. no okay. idea who I've you were exactly or right. okay, what the show it. was until my sister told me we were being interviewed by Jennifer right and I listened to my first episode <laughs> wow. after that interview. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Sounds a pretty celebrated author. I know. I've got the whole that is all series. I've got medallion status. It would be one thing if you had an associate's degree in English. (laughs) Or if you had just taken some literature classes at the learning annex. (sighs) I'm over it. (laughs) Let the record reflect that Judge Hodgman is over it. Judge, I'm so sorry. I am um, because I am I am not a nerd. I'm he can't hear me. No, I get it. I, I get it. I apologize. I don't listen to podcasts uh, as my a time is my time is my time is over. I understand. I apologize. The ner- nerds move on. They move on to other nerds. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed the podcast when I started listening to it and no, plan no, on I listening understand. to more episodes. This is James A. Caster's time. We get it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We get it. Let's look at these little miniatures that you didn't make with your own hands. The furniture? Are we looking at... Well, okay. So you submitted this evidence, Liz. Yes, sir. And all of this evidence is available on our uh, show page at MaximumFun.org, as well as our Instagram account, at Judge John Hodgman Exhibit A, submitted by Liz. The dollhouse my dad made that my mom and I decorated on the right, and the dollhouse my husband bought for me to work on on the left. There's a beautiful, well-decorated exterior dollhouse, and then there seems to be one in progress. What? Why am I looking at these uh, these little houses? You're looking at these because they're first an example of my hobby. Thought it would be good to yeah. present a visual representation of the hobby. The dollhouse on the right, especially one my dad made, uh, has has seen better days. So it's going to be undergoing rehabilitation, which is something pretty popular in the dollhouse world. Is there a doll? Is there a dollhouse decorating culture? Yes. In fact, one of the miniature groups on Facebook has over half a million members. Miniature groups. Yes, there are. It's a pretty sounds like a pretty large group to me. (laughs) (laughs) It is the largest of the miniature groups that I am a member of. This is yeah, it's quite a popular hobby. You actively sought out a group to join for this hobby of yours, so you went above and beyond, just like enjoying miniatures, and you actively. I uh, your point is well made, Laura. Let's move along. Exhibit B, I thought, so here we see like an armchair and a side table and some vases and like a a salad bowl, all in miniature. I thought you made these with your own hands. No, these these are all handmade by artisans. So this is evidence of miniature as art, not miniature as nerddom or even hobby. So all of this, including the itty bitty teeny tiny perfume bottle were made by artisans um you're saying there's no there's no artisanship in nerdery you're saying you're saying that general hospital fanfic is not art 
I am saying that, yes. All yes, right. I well, am right. saying that. There you that. go. You're on the record uh, if, now. If literature is art, um, fan fiction is not. Yes. You're I, saying this is too well made to have been made by nerds. I'm saying, yeah, they're artisans. And there's actually a, a group for miniature artisans. And that's, I can't remember the entire name of the group, but it is something with miniature and artisans in the title. Sorry, I can't hear you over the sound of 20% of our listeners stomping up and down on their phones after you said that fan fiction is an art. That's okay. I'll I'll live. They can they can direct their ire to me. I'll take it. Yeah, that's right. Everyone get everyone else's address. Mine is now secret. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> By the end of this, we'll all be getting um, comments. You know who lives in these dollhouses with all this artisan little <laughs> craft work? Sn little snobs. <laughs> You can't, I can't even, I, it would be impossible for me to overstate how excited I am to have a litigant on our program who makes me and John look unpretentious. <laughs> Honestly, no matter the outcome, I'm, I am satisfied. <laughs> They're, they were, they were made by an artisan named Ferd Sobel, who's a very, very well-known name in the miniature furniture community. Liz, I have a sincere question for you. Do you think that someone who is exceptionally good at something is by nature an artist or that art involves other qualities? I would say somebody who is exceptionally good at something is an artist, yes. Even something, if someone is exceptionally good at, at building a campfire when it's cold? I think that there is an art to building a campfire, especially a campfire that lasts. Because I have heard it argued, for example, I think, Scott McCloud and Understanding Comics argues, which is a wonderful book, that art is the non-essential functions of life, right? It is the application of effort to, I'm paraphrasing, but it's the application of effort to things that aren't necessary for survival. Yeah, the aesthetic is that which serves no practical purpose. Like, for example, dollhouse furniture. <laughs> which is art. Or general hospital fan fiction. It's not art. I think that, why is general hospital fan fiction not art, but building a campfire is I it depends on the way the campfire is built. A campfire fire can be utilitarian or it can be artistic. Let's say it's built on decades of pot boiler romantic uh, stories set in a hospital <laughs> that has captured the imagination of people for generations. Laura, you submitted some evidence as well. Exhibit C. Uh, this is a, a weather station of some kind. Yeah, my sister has this digital weather station, and my sister <laughs> does not have um, the largest social media presence, especially uh -huh. nothing that is public. But if you go to her Facebook and scroll through, th through her photos, maybe every third or fourth photo is a photo of the weather station sharing what the weather is for that day. She is so weather obsessed that... When she moved, they lived in Florida and they moved to Washington. When she moved, our friends and I got, we created a weather persona for her. Her weather persona is Zibby Wibby. And she has a jacket with a patch on it so that she can report on the weather whenever she wants to. That's something you gave to her, not something she got for herself. Correct. But she immediately it's put not it a, on. It's not, a it's not a weather person character she rolled no. in, a, in, a, in a meteorological RPG. But she immediately put it on and started recording videos and still sends videos out. Give me a little weather patter, Liz. You got, <laughs> what's going on? What's going on in the weather today? Welcome to the beautiful Columbia River Gorge. Today it is cloudy, drizzly, perfectly normal winter day. But in my defense, Your Honor, <laughs> the reason... Oh, I, just, I could have listened to that for another hour. <laughs> oh, right. thank you. What is the name of your character again? Zibby Wibby. Zibby Wibby is the character in your in your weather LARP. Got it. Are you a weather nerd or a weather artist? <laughs> I'm a, I'm a weather informer. I would say I'm a weather informer, and I will say a weather narc. There's only one weather informer, and that's Canadian rapper Snow. Snow. <laughs> Liz, will you stipulate to the to the as far as I'm concerned, self-evident fact that. Uh, weather is second only to Dungeons and Dragons in the area of classic nerd feces. <laughs> I would Dungeons and Dragons, Star Trek, weather. So I'm going to go with third. Got it. I will. I will capitulate to third place. Yes. 
And I see exhibit D here, Laura. It, I, I'm not sure what I'm looking at here. It looks like some kind of droid or robot. But it says the caption says Liz's T obsession, T E A obsession. Explain yeah. that. So, with aforementioned weather, where she talked about the terrible winds and everything, they were without power. And one of my sister's high priorities was to be able to. This is a tea kettle that basically makes tea like a coffee pot does. Uh-huh. And she uses her own special blend that she orders. It has a mix of exactly what she wants to go in it. And as like their pipes were frozen and their dog was ill and their house was freezing, Liz had to make her tea and using her special blend, using her fancy tea maker. So she's plugged into generators and things like that in order to be able to get her Liz tea blend made and consumed. But why does that what does that have to do with nerdism? How does that fit into your definition? It's that extreme level of the tea snobbery or the tea nerddom where when she travels, she takes the tea and she takes her own tea bags. Like a Twining's English breakfast is not good enough for her. She likes what she likes. Having an obsession with a particular kind of tea. I mean, let's face it. Twining's English breakfast is kind of it's chump tea pretty much. Now, the fact that you have pointed out that she has a special machine uh, to essentially boil water in a special way, like taking something that is easy to do and making it complicated. That, to me, speaks of nerdery. But Liz, let's get a baseline from you. If not you, how would you define a nerd? You know, I think of nerddom as sort of being on the fringes. I think that it's, Also something that is tied to or outside of what a lot of people know. So, for example, fan fiction, you know, especially early adopters of fan fiction, because um, my sister was a very early adopter. So I think that that and really took to I mean, it became a part of her identity. I think for me, that's the definition of nerddom. I understand that you went to a miniatures convention, Liz. I did, Your Honor. What happens in a miniatures convention? People cosplaying as like umbrella stands <laughs> and stuff? So the actual, there's two parts of the convention. There, You can go a few days early and you can attend workshops and learn how to build miniature furniture, for example, or to build houses or to engage in miniature arts. Where does it happen? This one is the Tom Bishop show that happens in Chicago annually. It's the largest miniature show in the United States. Laura, how does it feel when your sister calls you a nerd? Oh, I don't mind it at all. I am a little uh, off-put by the comments on the fan fiction. Here, I mean, let in, me hear it. In this day and age, like when I look back, I'm like, yeah, but, you know, 18-year-old Laura, I did some good writing. I got a lot of positive feedback from people. A lot of people followed me. So to say that's not art, like to me, any kind of writing is art. So that that was a little, you know. It stung. But, yeah, a little bit. So Liz has stung you by calling your art form non-art. Why do you want to put the label nerd on her so badly? Do you want to prove to her that you're actually cool because nerds are cool? Or are you trying to point out to her that she's not as cool as she thinks she is? Probably more the latter. <laughs> um, I just feel like she's not letting her true self Come forward. Come on, Laura. That she's hiding under this academic guise. Why do you think you're throwing, look, you're throwing nerd at her pretty hard. Yeah. And I would think that someone who's pretty confident in themselves and what they care about be like, yeah, I guess I'm kind of a nerd for miniatures. Like, sure. But Liz is over there going, no, I am not a nerd. That is my sister. And what she does is lesser than the people who make a little tiny library chair. (laughs) The things she loves are stupid. Compared to this teeny tiny vase. And her digital weather center, John. Yeah. Why do you think she's doing that to you, Laura? Why do I think Liz is doing that to me? I think... Because you're out here going like, I want to be the nerd sisters. You're nerdy for your stuff. I'm nerdy for my stuff. Let's be nerds together. And and Liz, your older sister, is going like, uh, no, I am not like you. You're fine. You're one of the good ones. But never, there is a bright line between me and you. And on that side, nerd. And on this side, artisan. Why do you think she's doing this? 
I think part of it is when I, because we're about six years apart, there is a pretty big age difference. And so Liz to me was very cool when I was like 12 and 13. Mm -hmm. And the older she gets and the older I get, the more I realize how alike we are in certain ways and with certain things that we're into. And I would just love my, you know, seemingly thinks she's very cool sister to admit that there is some nerddom in there. I mean, Judge, this woman bought a house that has a mini house in front of it. <laughs> why? <laughs> why am I only learning this? And why isn't there a photo of mini well, house? I, that I believe was evidence <laughs> that I submitted that was not uh, used. But she posted on Facebook, I bought, a I bought a house that has a mini house. And I said, adorable, but also nerd. And she said, I refuse to like this post on the grounds that it may incriminate me in the future. What is the mini house in front of your house, Liz? Our house was built as a gas station in 1931. Nerd. And the <laughs> and it still has the original pump house out front. But I believe the house that mm -hmm. Laura's referring to is the original owners, as they were building the gas station, built a small stone house that they lived in. And it's smaller than the studio I'm in. I mean, it's literally it has enough room for a teeny tiny bed and a wood stove. That's all that would have yeah. been in there. Why don't you just live in a regular house? Because I can live in a former gas station that's a landmark house. Everyone knows my house. I am introduced to people as this is Liz. She lives in the house that used to be a gas station across from the Iris Farm. I live across from it's the Iris pretty, Farm. I got to admit, it's pretty cool. Thank you. That's pretty Thank good. You, what was your intention for the mini house, Liz? The usage? Of the mini house? Eventually, we would like to electrify it and turn it into a studio where I can work on my hobbies, including miniatures in the miniature house. Not everyone who has a hobby is necessarily a nerd, Laura. But if you're dedicating a house on your property to that thing, it's like I have, you know, enamel pins from Max Fun all over my house and McElroy posters and Adventure Zone stuff everywhere and Hodgman books on my bookshelf. Yeah, I'm a nerd. Which, it's everywhere. Which, by the way, I appreciate Thank very you. much. Thank you. I read every hobo name. But there are those. There were. There are. The, there are those who would say that collecting merchandise is what makes you a geek, not a nerd. And the my hobby requires space because there's construction happening. Right. There's gluing. There's cutting. Um, gluing. So <laughs> And there are those, Liz, who would say that because you are that you are hands deep into the making of the of this stuff, that that makes you a nerd less than a geek. I'm curious, Judge, what is your distinction between a geek and a nerd? You'll have to wait to find out, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse is absolutely right. I would also, if I may, this is Liz again, state for the record that I do not think anything my sister does is stupid. I may look down on some of it, especially since a very, very popular, <laughs> terribly written book originated as fan art, uh, the novel that shall not be named. Um, and that is part of my derision of uh, fan fiction. Yeah, but that's just that's just one miniature bad apple in a tiny little barrel next to a model train set. <laughs> I hate to be the one to tell you, but... Uh... There are some pretty bad not fan fiction books. <laughs> yes, there are. <laughs> yes, yes, that is a good point, yeah. Jesse. I would not equate publication with art. Yes. They ain't all diamonds, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> what would you have me rule if I were to rule in your favor, Laura? Just that my sister finally admit that she is a nerd and embrace it. Be happy about it. Celebrate it. L Liz, what's so, what's so problematic about being a nerd? Other than being a, a pr practitioner of lesser art forms. I think it goes back to being an adolescent. And it was such a negative term that the idea of thinking of myself in those terms today sort of brings me back to that that painful time in adolescence. I really think that's one of the main reasons that I, I shrug it off. But you acknowledge that the definition of nerd has expanded since we first watched Happy Days. <laughs> I do. I do. What what used to be an incredibly, I mean, let's say pushed to the margins form of creativity, which is fan fiction, is rather central and much more acceptable now than it used to be. Indeed, people are writing fan fiction that goes on to be translated into 
millions of dollars at the box office, no matter what, what are our, our respective judgments of that work. Yes, that's it's a very salient point. And I think that if you rule in my sister's favor, then maybe I will shed that adolescent angst. I've heard everything I need to in order to make my decision. I'll be back in a moment. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. Laura, how are you feeling about your chances right now? Uh, Honestly, I'm feeling pretty good because I feel like my sister presented a lot of evidence that was supposed to be her defending herself, but which instead supported my case. Are you concerned at all that your sister's miniature house is going to get a standard size egged? (laughs) I mean... Her house is right off the highway. It's definitely a possibility. Liz, how are you feeling? I didn't think about the fact that I literally live in a landmark house and everyone locally knows where I live. And that could end up very badly for me after this. Um, I'm feeling terrible, quite honestly. I think my chances are zero that the judge will rule in my favor. Um I feel like I'm really playing devil's advocate here. And um I think I've offended every person participating in this podcast and who will be watching and listening to it. So I fully expect that I will be smeared in social media. And if I'm called a nerd, I'll be happy if that's the best thing that happens. Well, we'll see what Judge Hodgman has to say about all this when we come back in just a moment. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Judge Hodgman, we're taking a break from the case. What have you got going on? Well, Jesse, um, some of you may know or some of you may not know that I have um, a sort of a, a secret society that is available if you go to the website bit.ly slash you are invited to join a secret society, all one word, all small letters. It's a newsletter that comes to your email with um, more or less weekly uh, information from me about what's going on in my life, plus observations, as well as uh, a secret a message that I record for you every other week. And sometimes little conversations with friends like Josh Gondelman or Jean Grey or Janie Hadda Tompkins or uh, Autumn Mowry, who owns the Candlepin Bowling Alley in Ellsworth, Maine, who's an incredibly inspiring person. Uh, the other day I was getting ready to record a secret message when uh, when a good friend of mine called on the phone and uh, I stopped what I was going to do and we just had a phone conversation and and it was a wonderful sort of serendipitous thing that happened and it was great. It's just a place where I share stuff that I don't otherwise have a place for in my life. And uh, it's a, a wonderful community and there are comments. You can leave comments and I can respond to your comments. And if you're interested at all, go over to bit.ly slash you are invited to join a secret society. That's bit.ly slash you are invited to join a secret society. All small letters, all one word. I'm making it complicated on purpose. And also, I want to remind you, I'm almost about to set sail on the Jonathan Colton cruise. My offer is bona fide. If you haven't yet booked a cabin, go to jococruise.com. Use code Hodgman24 
H-O-D-G-M-A-N-2-4. And if you book using that code, then I offer you, in return, I will play Scrabble with you in the crow's nest on a night of your convenience. If you don't like Scrabble, I'll do Yahtzee. I'll do Monopoly Deal. But Scrabble is where it's at in the crow's nest. If you want it, go to jogocruise.com. Use code Hodgman24. Jesse Thorne, what's going on with you? Well, I actually want to talk about something that's going on with someone else, and that is a brand new show at Maximum Fun, of which I am a huge fan. I'm not the only one. I just I just read uh, a huge endorsement of this show from from Patton Oswalt that said it was like the funniest thing he'd ever listened to or something like that. Um, it's called Valley Heat. It's a little hard to describe, but it's basically a community radio show from a particular neighborhood in Burbank where horses are allowed. You don't have to know <laughs> anything about Burbank. Um, it is really, I, it came to me, I had heard its reputation, but it came to me because I got an email from Ian Maxtone Graham, who is a, one of the most legendary Simpsons writers of all time. One of the truly great Simpsons writers. I did not know him. Someone gave him my email address. I was like, uh, yes, sir. We may have a telephone call. And he said, I'm in love with this podcast called Valley Heat. <laughs> Can you help them? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Christian, the guy who created the show, is a, is a total genius and uh, features lots of other great geniuses. I think Kim Clark, our old pal from the Max Fun show, The Goose Down, has been on there. Um, yeah, but it's it's a truly a magical world of uh, comedic brilliance. Comedic brilliance. It's truly it, it's a it's like nothing else. Valley Heat, Valley Heat, it's called. Let's get back to the case. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman re-enters the courtroom and presents his verdict. Well, this really takes me back, this conversation. This feels antique in a way. It goes back to when, you know, a, a decade or so ago, or maybe 15 years ago, when nerdism still had a lot of social stigma attached to it and was still something that was considered to be a, a, an insult to a degree. And there was a movement that was growing in the late 2000s, early 2010s to um, re-identify that term from being sort of like a social outcast who is primarily involved in math and computers and Dungeons and Dragons and weird marginal stuff. And no one really likes them very much. And they're not the popular kids, AKA the jocks. And to really just say, no, th this is, this is a sort of a beautiful thing. As Will Wheaton says, it's not what you love, whether it is miniature furniture or, uh, or, uh, uh, writing fan fiction for, Hugh Laurie or Star Trek or Star Wars or whatever it is. It's the way that you love something, right? In a way that is complete and genuine and enthusiastic and accepting of other people's love for things. I believe that that was the, the Will Wheaton definition and it became kind of uh, accepted, right? At the same time, nerdism was becoming less of an insult because the internet had afforded nerds uh, a whole lot of um, connection with each other and they formed themselves into a purchasing class and what they purchased succeeded very well in the marketplace, particularly superhero movies. There was this ascendancy of the nerd in popular culture such that all of the stuff that had been maligned and marginalized was now the most successful popular culture there was, right? And in this universe, you could imagine that, that nerdism had become almost a high-status appellation to the point that nerds very quickly, and perhaps always did, but I think it got a little intense during this time, began to gatekeep nerdism. In other words, Laura's trying to foist nerdism upon Liz and welcome Liz into the fold of nerdism, but a lot of nerds would say, you're not really a nerd, you're a geek. And a division grew between whether someone would be a nerd or a geek. And a geek was considered to be kind of hipster nerd light. Someone who might like genre stuff, but mostly will buy toys rather than paint miniatures. Now it is, I think it's very appropriate to speak about being a nerd 
for anything that you feel particularly enthusiastic about, even, I dare say, sports, which is hard for me to say. Literally, the word is challenging for me to say, sports. (laughs) But it is true that people can be nerds about sports. I have a very dear friend named Jesse Thorne, who is the living embodiment of a true sports nerd. Wouldn't you say, Jesse? I'm artsy. You're right. <laughs> Nerdism began as an insult, evolved into a, into a class identifier of high status, and now is worming its way back around to being an insult, honestly, because back in 2009, when I had addressed the president of the United States, then uh, a person known as Barack Obama, in the radio and television correspondence award dinner, and I said, are you a jock or a nerd, sir? You seem to be an amalgam of the two. And then he flashed me uh, the Vulcan uh, uh, greeting sign. Uh, me, in person. That happened. The nerd-jock convergence seemed to have happened, and nerds seemed to have won, but then they won maybe too much. Now you look at the computer nerds who have developed the algorithms that are reprogramming our brains and filling them with misinformation, and we cannot get rid of them. And indeed, they've worked hand in hand with jockism to really put democracy on the brink. I'm going on and on about this, essentially to buy time, but also to puzzle out the fact that nerdism is challenging to define in this year of our God or whatever, 2024, when we're recording this, right? As a certain Supreme Court judge once said about pornography, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. And the truth is, a lot of nerdery is pornography now, too. So who knows? (laughs) But I will say this. I know a nerd when I see one. Laura, I see you. And I respect you. And I think what you do is art. And I see you, Liz. And when I see you, Liz, I do not see a nerd. Instead, I see a snob. It may be hard to define what nerdism (laughs) is, and I've spoken about the gatekeeping of traditional nerd cultures as being gross gross and retrograde, but in its best definition, it is non-judgmental enthusiasm for the things you love and not judging the things that other people love. And when you draw a line between your younger sister's passion and call that lesser, call that non-art, for example. And on the other side of the line are little teeny tiny dollhouse decorations, and that is art. That line is imaginary. (laughs) I would have to say, Laura, I apologize to you. I really would love to bring Liz into the fold. But by the most... Uh, old and traditional and and uh, hide-worn definition of nerd, the things that she nerds out over are are not the traditional nerd-trapping stuff. It's not the nerd stuff that we associate, not just with nerdism arbitrarily, but all of the non-sports obsessions that are traditionally marginal were traditionally marginalized in the culture. And even though they aren't now, they still, frankly, are. The truth is, like, I, I know we're all tired of superhero movies, right? But um, I just remember I was just in an airport after a big football game, and I remembered, oh, uh, people like me are still in the vast mi- minority. Uh, people who are, th- who are thinking about the box office returns of superhero movies uh, are still outnumbered by the quote-unquote normal dudes who wear sports-themed pajamas to the airport and only think about football all the time. Like, they are still normal in the society compared to so many, many other interests. But none of the interests that uh, Liz have, uh, you know, are, are really, have ever really traditionally been marginalized in the way fan fiction has, for example, or put down. Do you know what I mean? Like, no one's putting down miniature dollhouse and meteorology. It's a little bit weird. There are some stats to meteorology, etc., but it's just it's just not part of that traditional nerd culture, nor does she really fall into the more expansive definition of nerdism, because the most expansive expansive definition of nerdism, yes, is Will Wheaton saying it's not what you love, but it's how you love it. She is passionate, right? But nerdism 
at its best, should be non-judgmental. And Liz is profoundly judgmental. <laughs> I don't think I can call her a nerd as much as I would like to welcome her into this fold. But I do have to put it on Liz to be aware of what you're saying. One of the defining factors of nerds has traditionally been exclusion from in-groups, right? And you are an older sister, so it perhaps comes to you genetically to make sure you keep your younger sister down and small enough to fit into one of your little homes. I know that you don't do this consciously. It's just as an older sibling thing to do. I've, I've learned and observed over time. I know you love your, your younger sister, but you are being very judgmental of the things that she likes. And that is not the greatest look. I think that you should strive to become a nerd of the best quality. The one who says, yeah, whatever. I just love the things I love. They love the things they love. It's not a big deal either way. It's all art. It's all somebody's art form. But unfortunately for you, at this time, you are not a nerd. And so I find in favor dropping the hammer with only as much contempt as you showed your own sister. <laughs> this is the sound of a gavel. Nerd! Judge John Hodgman rules that is all. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. Laura, how do you feel? Uh, pretty good, actually, because, you know, I am the little sister. Um, no, I mean, I think it. Liz does have those tendencies. I kindly refer to her as an academic, but she definitely can, you know, have strong opinions, which is perfectly fine. But yeah, I like the uh, I like your definition and the welcoming aspect of things and the non-judgmental act. So yeah, even though I, I technically lost, I'm calling it a win for me and a win for nerddom. Liz, how are you feeling? I am happy that I won. So thank you, Your Honor. Uh, for ruling in my favor. Um, I accept the criticism and will definitely be uh, more inclusive uh, of nerds in the future. But I'm also thrilled that we had this opportunity. It means the world to my sister, and I am happy to be uh, derided and called names on the podcast. Um, rightly so. I, I own how, you know, I came across. but. Um, this means the world to my sister, and I just, um, I'm just thinking about how proud my dad would have been. He just, he just would have been so thrilled to see us um, get along as well as we do, despite the evidence presented today. Um, and it's, well, you know. Well, not understanding it at all. No, no. My <laughs> well, mom won't understand it, but that's okay, because we're here and we love each other, and um, that's all that really matters. Liz, Laura, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Another Judge John Hodgman case is in the books. We'll have swift justice in just a second. First, our thanks to Redditor GuitarJ1066 for naming this week's episode Motion to Dis-Sis. Uh, you can uh, chat about this week's show on the Maximum Fun subreddit, MaximumFun.reddit.com. That is also where we take those title suggestions and those threads are always a lot of fun. Uh, the evidence from this week's show is on Instagram at instagram.com slash Judge John Hodgman. Follow us there. We are also on TikTok now at Judge John Hodgman Pod. Uh, so follow us on TikTok and on YouTube. YouTube. Yeah, whole episodes of the show going up on YouTube now. Absolutely free. It's a whole free. new thing. Yeah, uh, for those of you who are just listening, you may not know that Jesse Thorne is wearing his bailiff's outfit, and I am wearing my judicial robes, and you can see us wearing these things over on our YouTube channel. You can see it all. Thanks to Mr. Rowan Day on Apple Podcasts for a five-star rating. They say about the show, JJHO is like a Mexican Coke, always good and consistent. That's a comparison that I will take. That's wonderful. Yeah. Judge John Hodgman, the only podcast that comes in a glass bottle. If you're listening <laughs> to us on Apple Podcasts, please do rate and review the show there. It makes a big difference in uh, people seeing the show. 
Judge John Hodgman, created by Jesse Thorne and John Hodgman. This episode engineered by Eric Stolberg at Digital One in Portland and by Jason Mundock at So Good Media in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. The podcast is edited by A.J. McKeon. Our video editor is Daniel Spear. Our producer is Jennifer Marmer. Now, Swift Justice, where we answer small disputes with quick judgment. This one has probably come up before on the show, but for new listeners, Grammar Giraffe has asked on the Maximum Fun subreddit, am I allowed to recline my airplane seat? What if the person in front of me reclines? Grammar Giraffe. Why didn't you just ask a question about grammar? I know. Why did it have to be this one? Classic. I am going to eat seat back no matter what I say. Yeah. So what I'm going to say is this. If you are seated in first class or business or a place where everyone's got plenty of leg room, recline it up. If you are not seated, do everyone a favor and take a look behind you and make sure that the person sitting behind you is not Jesse Thorne, who is not a tall person or a large person or a person who's already struggling to fit in. Because the amount of comfort that you're going to get out of reclining is basically none. And the amount of discomfort that you're going to put on someone else is basically a lot. So I would exercise your right to recline with extreme caution and consideration. It's not 100% never, but take a look at the person behind you. Just take a little look and use your best judgment. Here's the thing, John. Here's something I think people miss about this question. Yeah. Are you allowed to is a different question from should you. Right. And I think that you can determine whether you should or not by taking a gander at the person behind you. And if it's a little teeny tiny child, you recline it all the way. They're kids. John, I'll add one more wrinkle that I feel is too rarely acknowledged in this conversation. When you put your seat back, you eliminate a lot of the person behind you's legroom. When you put your seat back, you gain no legroom. You gain basically nothing. I think that's settled forever, right? Everybody's oh, just yeah, going to yeah, accept yeah, yeah. that. I'm definitely, I'm definitely not going to get any mail about that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but hey, I don't want to hear your disputes with me. I'm never going to hear them on this podcast. I need disputes with other people between you. And here we are. We are weeks away from the Academy Awards. That's a big movie award. And uh, it's been a long award season. We just had the Grammy Awards. Look, I want to hear your awards-related disputes. Awards are stupid and they shouldn't exist. And I bet you got some disputes around them, too. Did you lose a high school senior superlative to someone less deserving? Maybe I should have given the valedictorian speech, not Jeremy. He did a better job, though. Which of your friends cheated on their ballot at the last Oscar viewing party? Did you ask for a Stanley thermos for your birthday only to receive the actual NHL Stanley Cup? Whoops. That thing's got to be expensive. You might want to return it to the Vegas Golden Knights. Give us all of your awards-related disputes at MaximumFun.org slash J-J-H-O. That's MaximumFun.org slash J-J-H-O for your awards-related disputes and really any of your disputes, right, Jesse? Absolutely. MaximumFun.org slash J-J-H-O. No case is too big or too small. And we've been having a great time answering some of those small questions on our Instagram and YouTube channels and TikTok as well. So make sure to follow us there for a little bit of extra bonus stuff. Yeah, you get a little content and another way to reach us to tell us that uh, we're doing it wrong or to submit your disputes. Maybe the latter more than the former. (laughs) We'll talk to you next time on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.